Well, we're going to go back one more time to the book of James this morning. This is my last message in the book of James. I have, uh, after today, officially preached through this whole book. Um, This is message number 17 uh, since I started, and I hope and I pray that this book has been helpful to you as it has been to me. Uh, God has helped me to understand many truths as I preached through this word and studied through it and uh, and I worked through it and I believe it has helped many times throughout my life since I uh, since I've started so and I hope if I were to start over if I were to re redo the book of James that I wouldn't have to change many things chances are there might be some but it um, and it's possible but I I'd like to trust that I've uh, I've done a good job of going through it but I want to encourage you all to continue to be Brians and study the Word of God for yourselves and test everything. Make sure that uh, what you hear and what is preached um, today and in the past lines up with God's Word. And I welcome any criticism or any corrections that may ever need to be there. So, And today might be one of them. I'm not sure. Today has been a, uh, this has been a challenging week, and this, uh, these last two verses of the book of James have proven to be uh, a challenge for me. So let's read uh, James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. The last two verses, and it reads, My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we uh, we come before you and we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you so much for the letter of James. I am grateful for for this this book or this letter within the within the Bible, Lord. And it's been um, I trust life changing for myself and uh, for others, Lord. Um, I thank you that I've been able to to preach through it. It's been a pleasure and an honor, Lord, and I trust and I pray that I have done your word justice, and I pray that um, even today that you will give me uh, the strength and the the wisdom, Lord, to, to proclaim your word accurately. This is my prayer in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. That's better. Okay, so we're in the closing portion of James again. Um, we are in the same... Uh, I, I'd like to put this together with that same portion that I preached on the last time in verses 18, 13 to 18. Um, we saw how James, he gives, gives some last instructions to the church, the church that has been suffering. They've been under severe persecution and it has driven them from their homes, and it has caused many to suffer in their spiritual walks. These are the people that James addressed here. And in verse 13, just for recap a little bit, he asked the question, is anyone among you suffering? And so we looked at that, and we came to the conclusion that they were suffering due to persecution. It was directly linked to their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that same word for suffering uh, that James used here was the same word that Paul used to describe his suffering in 2 Timothy 2.9 when he said he was suffering as an evildoer. 
So it is a suffering of the Spirit, one that can really uh, bring us down. It can discourage us from actively seeking to live for God. And James said to pray. He, his instructions to them was to pray that you will find comfort in Christ and not worry about your current circumstances. James also addressed those who are cheerful. He said those who are cheerful were to sing psalms, to make melody in their heart toward God, praising God with all your being. And then he said to those who are sick in the church, they were to call on the elders to pray over them. They were the spiritual sick ones who were perhaps even falling into sin um, because of the persecution that and it had driven them into deep despair. And they were unable to help themselves and they were sick in spirit and they were to call out for help from the elders who were strong. And then here we read of one more type of person within the church that James is addressing. And he says, if anyone among you strays from the truth. And so this statement implies to us um, that there will be at times some in the church that will stray from the truth. There may even have been certain individuals who because of the persecution they were under, that they were facing, that they were straying away from the truth that they once proclaimed. They are not um, suffering, they are not sick or discouraged, but they are straying from the truth, is what James says. There would be a, a level of deception here that might not even that they might not even know as they are straying from the truth and they are being deceived. So, are these true believers or who are going astray? That is a question we must ask. Are they true believers who are going astray, or are they the ones who have been deceived into thinking they were? true believers, but now are proving they never have truly come to the faith. We would call people like this apostates. They are um, two different views on this passage of Scripture. And some suggest that they were apostates and they never did believe to begin with. They were never truly born again. They were professing to be believers and yet the heart had never changed. But I want to make an argument for them being believers and they are falling into sin. Believers who are sinning. And I've come to believe that this passage is dealing with Christians who are wandering uh, away from the truth. They are being allured by their own, lured away by their own sinful desires. They are losing focus on God. Sin leading to death. Um, living in sin and not bringing glory to God. Quite possibly uh, due to persecution that has brought them uh, much discouragement and it is ultimately causing some to stray from the truth. Um, in that case, we might be tempted to travel the path of least resistance. We believe that it is not possible for someone who is a true believer to ultimately lose their salvation. And we have scriptures like John chapter 10. Um, John chapter 10, let's just read that. John chapter 10, uh, 27 to 29. And these are, these are the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We get great comfort I trust we get great comfort from a scripture like this at times of trials and hardships. 
Our desire should be to live for God, to bring glory to God in everything that we do, and to God alone. And how easy it is for a man with a sin nature like ours to lose sight of God and turn focus on ourselves. I want to be very clear, these are not believers in that James is talking about here. These are not believers who are losing their salvation. They are Christians who are living in sin and need to be turned back. And I believe I can make a case from this from Scripture, and I hope that it will make sense to you as it does to me. Uh, earlier, James mentions this in, the, in his letter in chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. James 1, 12 to 18. He says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So James is saying to the brethren, um, or to his fellow believers, that they are to be careful with their own lusts likening it to giving birth. Our sinful lusts left unchecked will grow into sin, and sin fully complete brings forth only one result, and that is death. The consequence of sin ultimately is death. Hence why all people are appointed once to die. We are all sinners and all will die a physical death. When we we're promised eternal life. It is not eternal life on earth. We as believers still suffer the consequence of sin, which is death. One more verse I want us to look at that helped me to believe that James is in fact talking about believers is 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. 1 Timothy 4 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Um, that was verse 1 and 2. But the Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith, is what Paul is saying there to Timothy. And this would be a description of what I called earlier an apostate, someone who has defected from the truth to follow doctrines of demons. Um, Paul says to Timothy that some who have proclaimed to be Christians will fall away. These are the ones who never were sheep to begin with, playing the part but never fully believing. And so as we look at our verse again in First James, um, if, as we look at our verse again in James, first James addresses them as brethren. Um, we need to consider what he's saying there. He's, he's addressing them as brethren. He says, My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth. Paul said in First Timothy that some will fall away from the faith. James says, Brethren will stray from the truth. And so what is this truth that, would be stray, that they would be straying from or that we could be straying from? What is truth? What is truth? When Jesus was praying for his disciples in John 17:17, 17, 17, he prayed to the Father. He said, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth." He also prayed that for all believers in verse 20, 
when he prayed, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And so we understand um, that these believers are straying from the truth of God's word. Believers straying from the truth of God's word. Believing in Christ, but not keeping to his word, which is the only source of truth we have and know. And this is ultimately sin. It could be following our own emotions. It could be following our own feelings and desires over the truth of God's word. James 4.17 says, Therefore the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So if we trust um, possibly feelings or emotions or other things over, over the word of God, it is sin. We are faced every day with worldly temptation, and our own lust can and will at times lead us into sin, bringing glory to ourselves over glory to God, as he is the only one who deserves glory. Our lives are to reflect the glory of God. James says, faith without works is dead, and it is the works that bring glory to God. They don't save us, but they bring glory to God, and he needs, and that needs to be our desire. When we stray from the truth, we need to be turned back. When we stray from God's word, we need to be turned back to the word of God. And this is um, the calling for all believers, to hold one another accountable, to help each other, to care for each other. And how do we, how do we respond to this kind of help? How do we act when someone holds us accountable? Do we appreciate it? We should. When the time comes, Lord willing, we will one day take up membership here at Grace Bible Fellowship. And when we do, we will all be required to agree to some type of accountability towards each other. That will be a question that will be asked, as do most churches. Most churches will ask that question, are you willing to hold your brother or your sisters accountable to the truth? But very few churches actually practice it. It is a requirement you must agree to to become a member, but very few churches actually practice it. And then when we continue in verse 20, he says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So James says the person who turns a sinner from straying from the truth, he's straying from the truth, but if he turns him back to the truth, he will save his soul from death. And this is where I struggled. It has been a long week trying to come to a confident stance on what this believe, uh, what this means. And I've wrestled with this. Um, but if we believe, I think in verse 19, if we believe that he's talking to believers as I do, then, um, then I must conclude that this death here is not the death that leads to hell obviously, but it is a physical death of the body and ultimately for the believer to eternity with Christ. Turn with me to 1 John 5, verse 16. 1 John 5, verse 16. It says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. And to those who commit sin not leading to death, there is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should make request for this. All righteousness is sin, and this is not. This is a, and there is a sin not leading to death. So John is writing here about 
praying for his brothers, praying for brothers who are living in sin, praying for God's will to be done. In my John MacArthur study Bible, John MacArthur explains it like this. John illustrates praying according to God's will with a specific example of the sin leading to death. Such, such a sin could, could be any premeditated or unconfessed sin that causes the Lord to determine to end a believer's life. It is not one particular sin like homosexuality or lying, but whatever sin is the final one in the tolerance of God. Failure to repent or forsake sin may eventually lead to physical death as a judgment of God. No intercessory prayer will be effective for those who have committed such a deliberate high-handed sin, i.e. God's discipline with physical death is inevitable in such cases as he seeks to preserve the purity of his church. So we see there is sins that lead to death for the believer. But it is also important to note that not all such, not all such sins are judged this way. Doesn't mean every time someone commits a certain sin that they will be judged with this. There is not a certain sin that will cause this type of judgment every single time. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And um, actually I have the ESV version here. Um, I like the way they wrote it. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And we'll start in verse 29. And Paul is warning the Corinthian church about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Verse 29, he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgments on itself, on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The ESV version actually says that, and some have died. Many versions will say, and, and many of you sleep. And um, But the, the meaning is people who have died due to, um, in this context, um, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so we also read earlier how John, um, when he told, in, in the book of John, no one can be snatched out of God's hands. Not the devil or even we can remove ourselves from the hands of God. God saves the believers from going to hell for their sin by intervening in their lives of those who continue to live in sin. Some through discipline from God and some even through death. This does not change the sovereignty of God either. We are to make decisions every day to serve God and to glorify God in everything we do. As an example, I want to look at uh, Moses. Moses was a great man in our eyes. Um, the Word of God also hails Moses as a great man who was used mightily by God in his plan of salvation. He brought God's people out of slavery. He led them toward the promised land that God had promised to give them. But Moses strayed one day, even for a bit, and it cost him dearly. And we want to read in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 from verses 23 to 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter 
choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And he was looking, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Moses was an amazing man of God. Deuteronomy 34 verse 10 says, Since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And yet Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land, the land that God that God promised the Israelites, the land that they had been journeying towards ever since they left Egypt. Forty years in the desert, fighting and conquering wars wherever they went, all in faith as they walked towards the promised land. So why was he not allowed to enter the promised land? Deuteronomy 32 verse 51, God says, Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. God promised there that he would see it from a distance. He would let Moses see the promised land from a distance, but he would not be entering the land. And this incident incident is recorded uh, in Numbers chapter 20. The story is that the people were once again complaining about having no water. Once before, God told Moses to strike the rock. It was in an earlier instance. He, he said to Moses, strike the rock with his staff, and then it produced water. And now they were once again without water, and Moses and Aaron go to God, and God tells Moses to speak to the rock in front of the people, and it will produce water. And Moses was no doubt frustrated. And I'm sure if anybody of you have ever read through the the Israelites' journey throughout the Old Testament, you almost get frustrated in his place, thinking of how arrogant and how stubborn they were. And uh, God always and always again providing, and yet they refused to to trust so many times. And um, out of his frustration, um, he was likely upset with the people um, for not having the faith, and he, instead of speaking to the rock, he took his staff and he hit it twice with his staff. But he also said, out of anger, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Not only did he disobey God's command to speak to the rock, but he seems to want to take some credit for bringing water out of the rock, failing to give all the glory to God. This did not end Moses' relationship with God. God continued to use Moses to lead his people, but Moses took some of the glory for himself, and the punishment was severe. He was not allowed to experience what God would ultimately give the Israelites, the promised land. Moses did not lose his salvation. Moses was still a believer, and he still will be in eternity with God. But he suffered loss on earth. And it is so easy for us to become selfish and to live for ourselves. It takes great discipline to walk worthy of the blessing of salvation and we desperately need each other as believers. God will not allow others to receive the glory that is due to him alone. Isaiah 42 verse 8, 
I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. We might be tempted to think of this in this way then. Well, if someone is living in sin, and if he dies, what harm is that? Good for him. He goes to be with the Lord. In that sense, it might be gain for him if he goes to heaven. Instead of allowing him, instead of approaching him maybe for his sin, um, I would like to say if this is how we think, or if this is how uh, you think, I would encourage you to consider your own salvation. God is a righteous judge, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will be evident for they will, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. If our work remains after it has been tested by fire, we receive a reward. But if it is burned up, we suffer loss. Can you imagine the, the shame we would feel as God is testing our works and all of our works are just being burnt up. And hardly anything remains. The torture and the shame it would be to stand before God and to watch our works being burned up. Our works as a believer. Works for self over works for bringing glory to God. We do not want to meet God like this. As believers, we want to prepare to go through the fire. We want to be ready to be tried by God himself. If we see a loved one or a brother in Christ in a house fire, would we just look past it and say, well, he's a believer, so he, so we won't bother to try and save him? We might get dirty or I might get burnt, so I will just sit back and let him die. Of course we wouldn't. We would not even think twice about it. That would be selfish. Why then do we let brothers and sisters go on sinning and never say anything? And here's the reason why we should be holding each other accountable. In verse 20, not only to save a soul from death, but to cover a multitude of sin. We will stand before God. Our life will be tried as if by fire. We don't want wood, hay, or stubble. We want 
gold, silver, and precious stones that will survive the tests of fire. If we have love for Christ, we should have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we have love for our brethren, then we should desire for them to build with gold, silver, and precious stones that are treasures in heaven. What about our families? I think of my family. As a father, I have a lot of influence on my children. If I stray from the truth and the word, if I stray from the truth of the word, there's a good chance my children will do the same. We tend to do what we see. And so if I'm leading by example of living according to the truth of God's word, I can cover a multitude of sins for my children perhaps, or even my children's children. How about if my marriage was falling apart? Because of my straying from the truth, because I'm straying from the truth, I'm a bad husband or a bad leader. Think of the consequences that this could bring years down the road in my children and grandchildren and beyond. We want desperately, we want to desperately turn our brothers and sisters back to the truth if we see someone straying from it. For their own sake, for their generations to follow, we have the potential to cover a multitude of sins. And that's it. That's the end of the letter that James wrote to the churches that were scattered abroad. And it ends with a call to care for one another. With love for the brethren to care for each other as Christ has cared for us. Understanding that all we do is for the glory of God. What should be our motivation for living like this? What is it within the believers that should motivate us to hold each other accountable, to care for one another in, in, the, in such a way. How about what Jesus has done for you? If we need motivation, we should take time to read or study your way through the book of Romans. You will find that the whole world is guilty before God. There is none righteous, not even one. Not a single one of us deserved salvation. We are all condemned if we are left in our own state. John 6.44 says, We will not even seek after God unless He draws us to Himself. Then when we come to Christ, He justifies us in the eyes of Himself. Who is the judge who will test our works? He will protect us and He will keep us from defiling His name. He has promised to keep us and not allow us to fall to the point where we would forfeit our salvation. Romans 8.10 says, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And I want to read Romans chapter 8, a few verses there. Again, as motivation for us to live godly lives and to care for one another enough that we would be willing to help them live godly lives. Verse 26 to 39. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. When we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? Is God for us? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him over to us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we, were over, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other credited thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May that be our motivation. Read that over and over and over if you need to, to, and let that motivate you to live to the best of our abilities, to live for Christ, to glorify God in every single thing that we do to care for one another as believers, to love one another enough that we would be willing to call each other back to the truth if we see someone straying from it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you again for your word and I pray, Father, that that in my heart I would have love for the brethren. Love so pure and so true that I would be willing to sacrifice my own life, my own reputation for the sake of others, to help them, to help others stay strong in, the, in your word, Lord, to stay um, firm to the truth of your word. And I pray, God, that there will be people who love me enough for that as well. I pray that as believers of Grace Bible Fellowship even, as we um, continue to seek to grow spiritually, as we seek to establish a congregation, as we um, seek to um, grow in our faith, God, I pray that you would instill this heart, this love into our hearts for one another. Not for my sake, but for your sake that you would be honored and glorified in everything that we do. And then when we stand before you, Christ, and you try us by fire, that we would be able to, by the grace of God, collect our rewards that you have promised. I thank you, and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.